0: Hello! Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang podcast. This is Olina filling in this week for Ms. Katie. Today we have episode 61 with Opal Peachy. Opal is a theatrical performer, creator, and producer associated with Marciano Productions as well as Cafe Nordo. We talk about Marciano Productions' upcoming remount of their 2014 hit, Seattle Vice, and we dive into some juicy Seattle history. We also discuss balancing gendered sexuality in a story about Seattle's sordid past. Seattle Vice runs January 22nd to 31st at the Triple Door. Tickets are easily available from the Seattle Vice Facebook page. That's how I got mine. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22, and finally Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book it Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. The 2016 Acting Company has recently been announced, so you can find out what I will be playing uh, if you check out our Facebook page. Uh, And we've also just launched the 2016 membership drive, so check that out as well. Clearly, uh, I'm a little bit associated with Island Shakespeare Festival. Uh, For more information on how you can become a Theatrical Mustang sponsor, check out our website, www.theatricalmustang.podbean.com, or find us on Facebook, Theatrical Mustang. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, this is Olena hosting today. It's January 8th, 2016. Imagine that. I'm here today with Opal Peachy. She's co-creator of Seattle Vice, which is a how do you a s- musical mu- cabaret. A musical cabaret with Marciano That's Productions. Right. She's got her hands in every bit of this piece, so I'm excited to hear all about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I'm just thrilled. We're two weeks away from opening
1: night uh-huh. at the Triple Door, which is one of Seattle's most opulent, beautiful venues, and probably one of the best venues for music in Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. And I am just so thrilled to share with Seattle all the brand new costumes and new numbers that we've been doing. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it.
0: So, can you give us a little bit of history about yourself, just in... Sure.
1: So, I grew up in Puyallup, for those who know, it is Pierce County, (laughs) which uh, gets a little... Pierce County gets ribbed a little bit in Seattle Vice. I think for those of us who have lived in Seattle a long time, they're going to get a big thrill out of this show, because it's pretty funny. We like to make fun of our own in the Uh way that only Seattleites can. (laughs) So, I grew up in Puyallup, and I went to college at Cornish College of the Mm -hmm. Arts, and I majored in original works, and I've been working in the Seattle community since then, and uh, let me see, I'm a company member for Cafe Nordo, and through Cafe Nordo, I met Mark Siano and started working with his production company Mm -hmm. to develop uh, musical cabarets, and we like to do shows that are, we call it adult entertainment, Uh it's for the 21 plus crowd, although Mm -hmm. Seattle Vice at the Triple Door, the early show is for 18 and up, Oh, but it's a place that adults can go to have a good time, get a drink, and enjoy some storytelling.
0: So how did you come up with the idea for Seattle Vice? Is that... OK,
1: so Seattle Vice, ah, gee, I think it was 2012. Mark Siano, my co-creator and partner, he was working as a PR manager for ACT Theatre. And part of ACT Theatre is a really wonderful thing called ACT Lab, which encourages new work and at partners with production companies to create new shows. And the artistic director at the time, Kurt Beatty, came to Mark, who is a known cabaret producer, and said, I have something for you, and I think it'll make an amazing musical. And he handed over this book, Seattle Vice, by Rick Anderson, and the title is Strippers, Prostitution, Dirty Money, and Crooked Cops in the Emerald City. And Mark looked at it, and it's this hard crime treatise about the history of Seattle, Gee, it goes from Constantine in the 1900s up until the 21st century. And he looked at it and said, Wow, this is this really amazing collection of stories centered around our gangster, quote-unquote, Frank Cole and Strippergate, which you might remember from, gee, about 10 years ago. It was a really a kind of a crazy corrupt club thing that went down. And he said, How am I going to make this into a musical cabaret? And he came to me, his producing partner, and we were looking at the book and reading through it, the the chapter that interested us the most was called Pike's Peak and it was about 1965 Seattle. The reason why 65 was interesting was because it was a perfect storm with some corrupt political officials, Mm -hmm. nightlife entrepreneurs like Frank Holkercio, the police, the chief of police, and the mayor, Dorm Braman, who decided that vice activities would be easier to police if they were regulated. Now, that sounds pretty dry, right? But what that means is that the police in the 60s were getting a huge amount of kickbacks to leave prostitution, money laundering, gambling, racketeering, everything of we think, that we think of as vice activities, mm-hmm. to just look the other way. I like to compare it mm-hmm. to the way that before marijuana recreational marijuana was legalized, that was the way that the police were looking at marijuana usage. Mm -hmm. They said, okay, let's make that the last priority. Now, in the 60s, it meant that, say, you were working at a club and you had some girls who were working and dancing at the club and maybe they were making a little extra money for themselves, giving some extra favors in the back room. That means that those club owners were paying the police to look the other way. Hmm. And so this was a little situation known as the Tolerance Policy, and it meant that Seattle nightlife boomed. You had the Pike Pine Corridor looking like it really never has since, people up walking the streets at midnight, 2 in the morning, clubs open till 6, limousines, celebrities, everybody wanted a piece of Seattle. And we thought that was really interesting, not to mention that it's go-go, and Go-Go is just so exciting, the swinging 60s. So we took this chapter, Pike's Peak, and set about making it into a musical cabaret. There's just a lot of stories to be told. Mm -hmm. And certain things that I think are, you know, if I'm at Pike's Place Market, it's fine to know about, you know, the histories of the farmers who are bringing the food to you today. But it's also interesting to know that Turf Cedary used to be there, and that was a place where politicians, hookers, gamblers, everybody was in the same space. Mm-hmm. And there are just a lot of pretty interesting stories, I think, that can be found out of that. And so that was the inspiration for the musical, and we did it in 2014 at ACT. And, well, gee, I, I think that there was lines around the block. It, it just, the three weeks' performances did really well, and two years later, when the triple door came a-calling to see what Mark and I had in our bag... We said Seattle Vice, let's do it again. Let's make it bigger and better for that stage. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's a remount in a sense, but there's a lot of new things about it. It's just there. this book holds so many stories that are so interesting. Mm -hmm. You could make, you know, a TV series out of this book. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the book is from early, early Seattle all the way up through just...
1: The book follows Frank Colciccio, who the way that they referred to it was... It would be money laundering, but he had this jukebox scheme in the 50s mm-hmm. where he would use the jukeboxes or pinball machines and, through the change, launder money from illegal gambling oh, wow. and all sorts of stuff. And I should say that uh, Frank has been quoted as saying he's just an honest businessman trying to make a living off of naked ladies. So And <laughs> Seattle gets down on him for that. But um, he has been working... I want to say he died in 99. I'd have to look that up. But it was while he was uh, being taken to trial for cold case murder and racketeering oh, wow. at some clubs. And uh, they never pinned anything on him. Uh-huh. So uh, the book follows him and his activities. He's sort of the central character. But it goes on to tell the stories that surround a man like that. Mm-hmm. And the men and women who were a part of
0: of making a pretty interesting and colorful past for mm-hmm. Seattle. So can you tell me a little bit about how you built the show based on that? Sure. Like what was the process of okay, creating so. the characters from real life characters? Right, and, right. And
1: so this is, this is, this is fun. Uh, so Mark and I, the first thing that you want to make a show exciting is relationships. You want to have characters who have obstacles and problems mm-hmm. and it comes to a head. That's dramatic. So, Frank Colcurchio was an obvious one. Neither of us could play him. It seemed like we really needed a really fun, I mean, we all love the Tony Soprano type, the gangster. Yeah. You know, it's got a real soft spot, the anti hero in in modern culture and, Mm -hmm. and pop culture. So we knew that, that that would be a character. The obvious choice for Mark seemed to be Gil Conti, who is still alive. He was a lounge singer back in the day, and Frank's right-hand man. He was a chauffeur later in life. He was a bag man, which pretty much meant that if Frank needed to pay off a political official, Gil was the one who carried the money to him. But mm-hmm. he also toured the Vegas circuit. He toured at the, on the Holiday Inn. He was a mm. great singer, beautiful lounge voice, which, if I do say so, Mark Ciano measures up in that regard. He's a wonderful singer. So that seemed like an obvious choice for him. And those two, the relationship they had, what was that? Uh, the Frankie Sinatra type, you know, lounge singer and this gangster who yeah. always took care of him. They always got each other's backs. That's pretty interesting, a little mm-hmm. bromance, right? Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I was like, well, it's tough, you know, as a woman, I, I I feel like you look at my like my favorite gangster movie, for example, is Goodfellas and the women in that movie, like, it's a really interesting story and makes you really feel for, uh, like, the Ray Liotta character, uh-huh. the, the male gangsters. Yeah. But the women are really pulled along, you know, either their mistresses, Gumars, mm-hmm. or their wives who fell in love. And, right. I, that, you know, it's just not really that interesting to me to put mm-hmm. on stage, as yeah. for myself as an actress. So when I got to the chapter Prostitution Reigns, I found a part that... Pulled it all together for me, Mm. and for Mark and I, we were like, okay, there's something here. So, this is fictionalized, but right around the time that Frank in the 60s was running his clubs, there was a notorious madam known as uh, Madam Washington. Her real name was Rosemary Williams because she was Miss Washington State 1957. So, she went from being the ideal female, just That, you know, that was exactly beauty queen. That was exactly what women wanted to be. And she became a madam who started her career in the 60s with a house on 14th on Capitol Hill. Uh And she was arrested, but never, always pled guilty, but never served any jail time because her little black book... Held so many names of political officials, judges, lawyers, it is still sealed in evidence. Wow! Yes. So, and she never was jailed. And she, into her (laughs) 60s and 70s, she had a massage parlor and was very diligent about protecting her girls and making sure that the Johns coming in were safe, that they weren't police. Uh Now, that's not to say that she was a good lady. There's lots of evidence to show that she maybe didn't treat those girls. As well as, you know, it wasn't exactly PC. You know, she's an anti-hero too. But Mm -hmm. I feel like in that same vein of gangster movies, she was a powerful businesswoman. And she was working right at the same time. Nobody says if they had a relationship or knew each other. But Mm -hmm. Mark and I said, okay, let's put it together. Put them together. and Let's put the brothel and the lounge and the gangster and the madam and the lounge singer all together Mm -hmm. in one club. The embassy. Mm-hmm. And now we made it the Bullet Cabaret because that's where we were. That was a historical building in Seattle. And so it was all set in the Bullet, the, El- the old Elks Lodge that is now at Theater. So there's a lot of history there. And we love that kind of research. So to do it at Triple Door is very exciting because, let me tell you, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Triple Door wasn't the venue it is today. It was known as the Embassy, which was a triple X movie theater and burlesque hall. So we feel like if these walls could talk, uh-huh. there are some stories. And so that's why this new version has many new characters, new numbers. Oh, interesting. We, we just felt like, you know, to do the exact same thing, it, you know, as an artist, it, it isn't as exciting. So we wanted mm-hmm. to keep building on the story. Yeah, yeah. While having the things that people really liked, such as a character called the naked guy. I'll just let you use your imagination. <laughs> and the motley crew that made up the nightclub scene. So mm-hmm. that, was what, that was how the process started. To bring it around,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I totally no, went off on that. That's fantastic information <laughs> to have, though. It's so fascinating. I just the history is so rich. I imagine that it's, it's yeah, it's like hard, to pick. hard. It it would be hard for me to pick where to deviate from history, I guess, and yeah. where to like, and where does the take artistic liberty? with oh, yeah. the and storytelling you... rather than like telling exactly what happened because that's so interesting, but. You have to condense all these years of history into such a short amount of time—a very short amount. Of yeah, time. it's
1: that the show runs just a little under an hour and a half. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. it's short. Songs are a great way to do that, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. I think the lyrics and the songs are are a really good way to get themes across uh-huh. without necessarily being big plot devices. Yeah. So uh, it is. It is. It is hard to choose. I, I think that. What is exciting and what is funny, you know, people laugh at the the jokes, and so that's how you decide to go from there. But (laughs) um, it is a lot of fun to pull out the nuggets, and and certainly having the chance to look at the script again after two years was really exciting
0: artistically. So had you put it away after the first time you guys did it? It was done, it closed, and moved on, and had no... It closed. We
1: performed the songs, certainly. Uh Uh, Mark and I both... uh, do cabaret gigs around town and mm-hmm. so the songs saw a little bit of life at least the ones that lived outside the plot but we knew that we would do it again mm-hmm. the cast the relationship with the cast and the dancers was really so great and it, it just felt like you know when you're a working artist in Seattle especially as a producer people at shows that I do they they ask about things they say oh uh, is Vice going to come back or is Bohemia uh shows that they really like some people it's like a you know your favorite movie or something they want sure. to see it again yeah. so it was on the back burner but really when the triple door called mark to ask about what he had in his bag he was like you gotta have Seattle Vice uh-huh. this is the one for that beautiful stage 300 seat house it felt like it was a level up for us certainly
0: mm-hmm. And so it builds in a little burlesque into the story as well as that? Sure. So burlesque uh,
1: in Seattle is so vibrant. And really I think that a lot of the story is about how the pendulum swung back the other way Mm -hmm. after these swinging 60s. And a lot of rules and regulations, particularly with the liquor control board uh, concerning nudity, Mm. really affected the way nightlife is in Seattle. And the burlesque scene has is the pendulum swinging back. Uh It's all these wonderful performers who are finding a way to get around certain rules and regulations and have really sexy, glamorous adult entertainment. We wanted to bring that. The show has a guest burlesque star each night. And it's a character in the show. She also has a scene. I think that's going to be something that's fun, for people to see, those beautiful, sexy, teasing ladies. Yeah. And they, and then they have a voice, and they get to talk about their own thing. And it's a fun comic scene. That's a new girl every night. And as far as stripping goes, we certainly have a lot of that. I'd like to think that it's its own little microcosm. And our choreographer, Nicole Bierman, has done a really wonderful job of incorporating burlesque-style dancing and musical theater-style choreography hmm. into wow. this Really, it's it's not like nothing I've ever seen on stage uh-huh. before, and I'm not the best dancer in the world. I can sing and I can act and I can go like this. <laughs> yeah, she's laughing. Flails imagine. arms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: the dance, watching the dancers, like I've got so much respect for them. They're incredible. Yeah.
0: How did you find the team to put this together?
1: Okay. All right. So. We put the call out to the original cast from the 2014 production, Mm -hmm. and we said everybody can come back if they want their part. If you are busy during that time window, these are busy performers, and everybody's got something in Mm -hmm. their back pocket, you can do a couple of dance numbers only. You can be a minimum part. We call it the minimum bets. It's Mm -hmm. like a little girl group. (laughs) Uh, Or you can say no. and and come see the show. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a lot of the original cast reprising their roles, and we auditioned for new dancers to fill the roles of the folks who weren't doing it, and oh my gosh, I'm just thrilled. It's a lot of different communities coming together. Dance, circus, acting, it's really fun. So we held auditions, but the team itself, Nicole Bierman, our choreographer, I went to college with and just loved her energy and her choreo. And she went to New York and then came back to Seattle, and I ran into her. She said, I'd love to work with you. And I said, oh my gosh, I'd love for you to dance for us, Mark Siano and I, for our production company, but we can't hire equity actors, which she is. She's a total pro, and she was like, choreography. And so, oh, just the energy together in the room is really fierce. Cool. So that's the team there, and we have uh, Paul Strong at the Triple Door, who's doing our set design. And the Triple Door is so incredible. It's not like traditional theater. You don't have a big tech week where you get to put all the tech on the show. You have the day of the performance. You bring in everything. They throw light on it. They do the sound. Boom. You do your show. Ten shows later. And that is why it's a really good gig. Yeah. Like you're just bringing it there and they're ready for you. I think that's one of the things that I find really exciting about the difference between the burlesque community and the theater community Uh is that folks come ready to go. There is a lot of self-reliance in that Uh community. You're bringing your own costume, you're bringing the act, you're bringing your music, boom, it's done. So putting that on after my experience in the theater world and the dinner theater world is really fun. That's really cool. Yeah,
0: it's fun. Have you faced any specific challenges with either the first time putting the show together, building it originally, or now and kind of reworking it and...
1: Sure, or sure. <laughs> the, the challenges, of course, are pushing the boundaries, yeah. you know, making sure that this show that is about the sex industry portrays both sides equally. And I feel like as a feminist, and I think my partner, would say he was a feminist too, it's really important to make sure that the stories we're telling about these hookers, madams, people who have Very polar sides Mm -hmm. of their industry that both sides are represented, Mm -hmm. and that the equal amount of time is given to the stories about our gangster Frank Culcercio and the ladies Mm -hmm. and their side of it. Mm -hmm. So, and that can be lots of different things. There's a lot of gray area
0: around it. Yeah. You know. How did you do that? How do you feel like you've accomplished a lot of sharing the true stories and? A lot of talking. I think there's a,
1: there's a lot in the book. Uh-huh. I personally interviewed uh, several ladies who worked at the Lusty Lady, which was a peep show uh-huh. that used to be on First Avenue. It's since closed. Yeah, I remember when that was there. Mm-hmm. And some sex workers as well. Uh, we've taken all of the girls who are playing strippers to a strip club to uh-huh. show girls on First Avenue. Uh, we did that last time around, and we've got a date scheduled to do that again so mm-hmm. that they could see exactly what it is mm-hmm. to be that kind of a stripper and to support those girls and to support the industry. Yeah. And we were also really careful to show as much male nudity as we show female nudity. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that is a big difference, and our yeah. audiences notice and appreciate it vocally. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: bet. Yeah. Absolutely. That's I will vocally <laughs> appreciate <laughs> that when I see it. Yeah. I, that's one of the most frustrating things to me about the culture that we live in. I think... There's so much appreciation and reverence for the female form, which is absolutely, there should be, but not so much for the male form, and then we don't see it, and then it's only the female form that's sexualized. Exactly. So I appreciate that you've Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's pretty fun. I, I do a lot of the costume design for Seattle Vice. I've got a lot of help. I'm not a trained costume designer by any means, but I've got really strong ideas. So that would be another challenge, just wearing a lot of hats. Mark and I are doing a lot. He composes the music. I help with the lyrics. He's done our set design before. He's not doing it for this one, but he's got his hands in that. He does all of our public relations. I do all of the costumes, and we co-direct. That's another challenge. When you have such a clear vision for your head, communicating that and make sure people understand it.
0: And also, taking a step back and letting people help you is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. So In a devised piece especially, because mm-hmm. it's such a collaboration, but then it's really necessary to have someone guiding that collaboration. and Yes, it is. Leading the vision. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is. It sure is. And I'm
1: happy to say that over the years of, of working together, while we haven't given up the reins to a director to take... To take the head yet. We do have several trusted peers who come in and give our opinions. And I'd like to relate that back to the feminist statements in the show. Mm -hmm. It's really important to me to have people who are a little objective and aren't involved with the process Uh come in and give their feedback. Yeah. Whether you take it or leave it is you know, that's our choice as artists. Mm -hmm. But having a forum for it. Yeah. Just to hear what people see. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I'm not always Right, you know about what
0: the audience takes. Uh huh. What have been some of the biggest successes you've <sighs> felt in this show? I'm sure there's a lot. Oh my Hard gosh. to identify.
1: I'm thinking of, you know, one of my favorite things about this style of cabaret performance is the relationship with the audience. Uh huh. I really love it, and darned if I can remember what it, the joke was exactly. But when we were at Act Theater. The audience is so vibrant they call things out to you and there are some one-liners that I got to toss back at the audience and the room just soars and sings so that I loved I love the lines around the block for people to come see the show Mm -hmm. watching those dancers and watching the audience respond to them and feed feed on each other feed on the energy is really wonderful I love the moments when The particular moment we have where there is female nudity that's built in it actually isn't very sexy and you can hear a pin drop in the audience Mm -hmm. and that's really special too it's like that that feeling of it going from complete loud to complete quiet Mm -hmm. and just being able to control the story that way i find exciting uh i mean really just that first note of music in the show is was really beautiful and i i love performing i'm totally a show person just getting up on stage and getting to sing a song that you
0: helped write is really gratifying. I bet. That's really beautiful. I can't wait to see it. I oh, was like, thank my, you! It's so funny. My husband and I had just read about it <gasps> when Katie emailed me no to see if I wanted to do like literally the night before, and I woke up the next morning to this email. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so cool!" Oh, I'm so I sad. love hearing that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fun. Yeah, there's so, a lot
1: of there's a lot of synchronicity that happens when you're producing these sort of events, uh-huh. and there was a quote. I was rereading the book today to prepare for this, and there was a quote about it um that Frank Colcuccio and his clubs created a carnival of life in the downtown corridor mm. and I like to think that this is an experience that people will have that's like that mm-hmm. you come in and you're sitting with maybe you're sitting with strangers depending on what seat you get mm-hmm. and you get a chance to just go on that train yeah you know to the city of sin back in the 60s yeah so it's a great date night for sure <laughs> cool. well yeah we'll also soon. for singles too I feel like a Single men especially don't come to theater, and they should. Right. They really yeah. should, because that's how you meet the ladies. Right. A lot of ladies I'll put it there. Out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> a lot of girl dates to yes, theater. Yes, a lot for of sure. girl dates. So boys should have boy dates there too. Oh, that? they should. Or just you know
1: be brave. <laughs> yeah. Just go, go. It alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. Um, is there anything else in the book that really stood out to you in terms of building uh-huh. your character and? Cause she's is she she's in the book too. She is, yeah. She's yeah. got
1: a chapter and some pictures, which is fun. She's a brunette, which I love. Mm-hmm. Some things about her that stood out and humbled yeah, what, my character. yeah, like
0: what what made her the character that you wanted to create?
1: I'd say from that the it was well, certainly the pageant queen. I found yeah. that really
0: interesting. That dichotomy of... yes, yeah. one of my
1: cabaret acts that I I do at the Pink Door, and I've done it at uh, Vintage Spectacular is called Miss Peachy, and she's got this, like, it's very kind of 1950s educational film style, and, mm-hmm. but it's pretty dirty, so that's my little spin on it. So she felt to me like it was kind of in my wheelhouse there yeah, where yeah. I could have this pageant queen who's pretty braunchy and a madam, right? Mm-hmm. So there was that that I found interesting, but also that duality where she's the antihero. She's a successful businesswoman. She's taking care of the girls she works for, but there's a chapter where it talks about how she took off she had a big compound on 14th that her ladies of the night would live, but she took off all the blinds on all their windows so she could see exactly what was going on in every room. Huh. And so the idea of that power of corrupts yeah. thing and that applying to a woman who are so either victimized right. or put on a huge pedestal. Right. So I felt like she, was, she had some interesting things that were historical facts yeah. that I could play on without having to
0: fictionalize too much. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't have to make that up. It's it's in the book. Mm-hmm. Is there any information on her life and how she got to that point, or oh gee, there really isn't. You've really, gotta, you've so you use just your got to create it for yourself. That's... Mm-hmm.
1: I've done I've done some dramaturgy. I would love if somebody out there now. This was a really amazing thing. I should have mentioned this when you asked what the most incredible parts of the show were. Frank Cole Curcio's family came to see this show. Whoa. A man came up to me, and I don't know if he was full of shit or what, but he said, "Rosemary Williams gave me the best blowjob I've ever had in my life. And he's this old gangster. Oh, my
0: gosh.
1: <laughs> gangster type, I should say. I don't know, but he looks yeah, like yeah. it's the stereotype. Italian-Americans, please forgive me. But the stereotype, you know, realized the gold yeah, change yeah. and the open open shirts, and and that was... I, my jaw dropped. You know, I didn't yeah. do the math and see if it was possible, but I love that. And so the hearing those stories and people who lived during that time in Seattle and or we had older ladies come up to me and some of the other dancers there and say, I danced at one of Frank's clubs oh, and they wow. came to see the show. Oh, that because, is so
0: cool. Yeah,
1: some serious yeah, living legends there. And not living legends in the sense of a burlesque queen, but in the sense of at Rick's, you know, uh-huh. stripping and, yeah. and making your rent,
0: doing that, yeah. and having to put up with everything that comes with it. It must be so amazing for them to see their story told. Oh, gosh. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean,
1: like. opinions were had, certainly, but I think everybody loved the show and, and wanted to take pictures with us afterwards. Yeah. And uh, when we did the rewrite of it, my partner Mark especially met with some of the family to get their mm-hmm. feedback on it because that, that was the other side. You know, you can villainize Frank certainly. But he has another side of it, too. He really took care of his people, and they had a lot of opinions about that that mm. we wanted to show as well as we could, you know, in a cabaret musical. But yeah. we wanted to show that side of Frank as well.
0: It's so interesting. In my head, I'm like, oh, well, of course, there must have been... He must have been a little bit of a villain. He can't have been totally great. But uh, then talking about the madam and how, like... In my brain, she must have been so nice to all her girls, and right, like it's, it's really kind of jarring to hear. Of course, because she was a woman, uh, yeah, she, yeah. So she treated
1: people right. Was right. Was a good businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if it makes you think about them as equals, then I think, I think we're doing our job. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. That both sexes have it in ourselves to be good and be bad and hurt people and take care of people and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what gender. Yeah, exactly. It's just survival. Yeah, but whose stories have been
1: told? Exactly. Yeah. So, it's it's my job as an artist to to tell her story. Yeah. At least right now, for the yeah. next 2 weeks. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Thank what you. are some of the other differences from the first time okay. to now? So like what are the things that you went sure. in and reworked? The show has 10 musical numbers with dancing and
1: everything, and uh, four of them are new. We have a new cast. We have we did revamp the plot line, so the uh-huh. plot line has changed. Oh, okay. And I'd like to think that we kept the jokes that were good. We definitely tossed to the curb the jokes that two years later felt flat.
0: Uh-huh. So we wrote, we wrote some right, of the Right, yeah, that's an interesting point, too, because it changes it does change what's funny now it's so contemporary you know and of this moment the things that are gonna feel like an inside joke
1: we also took a good 20 minutes off the show oh wow so it's shorter it's definitely tighter in that sense and we framed it for that triple door stage the difference between the spaces is pretty important the bullet cabaret is a 122 seat house barely we packed them in And it has a beautiful balcony where the audience can sit. It is also very intimate. You can do a lot of entrances from in the audience, and it's a very small stage there. The triple door stage is about 25 feet deep. It seats 300 people. Mm -hmm. And there's the beautiful proscenium arch and the most gorgeous red curtain you've seen, unless you're going to the ballet. It's gorgeous. So, we were able to make a seven-piece band. We have a three-piece horn section.
0: Oh, great. Yeah,
1: it's going gonna, it's gonna to sing.
0: Yeah. And we
1: had a dance floor that we did to dance break at ACT, uh-huh. uh, the first time we did it. I don't think we can have people... There's no room for people to dance at the triple door, but mm-hmm. I have to say, we said, so what? And so, we're really going to see if we can get people up in their seats and oh, dancing. Fun. Doing a little The Jerk. Yeah, you know? yeah. All those go-go moves are so great. Yeah. And just really... I don't know, but it's, it's fun to think about doing moves that have names. I feel like you go to the club these days and people do the whip, you know. Can you whip, right? right? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm in Belltown. <laughs> but uh, it's, fun, it's fun to see people recognize, you know, all
0: different generations. Yeah. To, able to recognize what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit more of the history, kind of, and what... Sure, any questions specifically? Well, if I'm I just really, uh, please do. I'm just so fascinated by the whole underworld of Seattle and the whole history there is so rich and vibrant and, okay. and really rooted in the beginnings of Seattle. Yes. Like, that was... So,
1: we could, we could start around the 1890s yeah. with Pantagious and Constantine. Constantine was, I'm probably mispronouncing that, was a gangster quote Uh unquote and Pantagious obviously was a theatrical producer and so in the early days of Seattle they had a feud going on that certainly defined how our entertainment is built and part of that is talked about in the book I should also say that there is a show produced by Jane Kaplan at The Rendezvous coming up soon that is dealing with with exactly that conflict and Mm -hmm. the people who are involved in it Mm -hmm. so it's it's very rich as far as inspiration. Yeah. Albert Rossellini in the 50s, uh, so he was, he became a governor and at one point was Frank Curcio's lawyer and he was pivotal in making sure that things were going smoothly for people and businessmen of a certain kind so that they could, you know, a lot of handshaking and backslapping was uh-huh. happening in the 1950s. And that was when Frank got his start and started owning and developing these clubs and jukebox joints. So out of that came the 60s, Pike's Peak, the peak of Seattle tolerance policy. Mm -hmm. And some say, and I think... So that's what that refers to, Pike's Peak. Yes, Pike's Peak is, well, Pike's Peak refers to... uh, Pike Street, of course, up on 12th Avenue was considered the peak, and that was the 908 Club. And then you could slide all the way down to the bottom, and it would kind of go from the 908 Club, limousine celebrities, down to Turfs Eatery at the market, which was Mm. pretty much the opposite. And there were just nightclubs and topless joints, Mm -hmm. go-go, dirty theaters. It's pretty interesting. The Sheraton was once uh, a place called, uh, no, it's where Nike Town was was called Pizza Nick's and it had this great guy Nick who it didn't close until I think the 80s or 94 was when it oh, closed wow. and so that was just a, a hotbed for underground activity mm-hmm. and that was right in downtown Seattle it's so interesting to me yeah to think of this very young city and everything that has gone down and it's easy to shovel it into you know the big site for the new condominium, condominium going up or the Amazon Towers, Mm -hmm. and to say, we're writing something new, we're finally a new crazy city, we're growing so much, and just think about what it used to be, Yeah, and the people who were making a living doing what they knew best. Mm -hmm. So, I think Seattle has had a lot of tolerance for, I want to say, subversive activity, but people here, we like to think of it as politically correct, but why is it that way? Probably because of everything that went on beforehand. Yeah. So... That's that's some fun history and tidbits. I like the idea of what the market used to be, you know, in the days of Netflix and the internet, we don't we don't really have adult film houses. I really have no desire to go to one nowadays. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to think about people's vices being so happen. Yeah. yeah. And they really aren't anymore. No. And uh-uh. we're curious. You know, Seattleites, the Seattle Freeze is is a thing. Yeah. And as a Seattleite I can certainly say that yeah, the the idea of somebody you meeting somebody on a bus or the street and then asking them to go out for coffee for you next with with you next week and being their friend is something that really doesn't happen here. It does in other cities. If it does happen, it's people are like, whoa, this yeah, is so interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, meeting new people and making friends like that, yeah, connections. It, it, it doesn't happen. You got to first, you got to look up somebody's. Profile and right. make sure they're okay, yeah. or or see what your mutual friends are. And yeah. once you have that okay, then it's fine to proceed and develop a relationship. But I think that it didn't used to, it didn't used to be that way mm-hmm. here.
0: That's interesting.
1: So we think about why Seattle is perceived as politically correct, and uh-huh. and I think it's because there was a lot of that that folks were trying to make sure that the bad side of it didn't come into their
0: lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this Seattle is funny. I always. You know, I lived in New York for a couple of years, and you hear so much, like, everyone in New York is so mean. And oh, are, yeah, the stereotype. They hate you. But I found people in New York to be quite friendly if they knew you also lived there, oh, you know? Uh-huh. But in Seattle, it's, like, much more kind of, like, people mind their own business a little bit. And yeah,
1: I think people mind their own business. Maybe you don't really get to know your neighbor. Yeah. But if you... Find a place where you can have some common ground, then it just blossoms. Yeah. And there's a whole other side to it. I mean, I'm in the arts, so, you know, actors from out of town often say to me, oh, it's so hard to get a go here. And it is, because, like any city, it's who you know. Right. And getting to know people is a little bit more difficult in Seattle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But then once you do, once once you you develop your community, then. Yes, it's all about community. Yeah. Certainly. And so.
1: We have to be aware of that, and and I like to think of these shows that I produce and I'm a part of, uh, both here at Cafe Nordo and at Marciano Productions, as places where people can go and be social. I think that's a really important thing, that in a city that is gray and gloomy for so much of the year, it's a chance for people to meet people the Mm old-fashioned way, having something in common like seeing a show and having an opinion about it, as opposed to sitting in a dark theater. Yeah, nothing wrong with that but it's got it's place
0: yeah yeah can you tell me a little bit more about Cafe Nordo we sure. talked a tiny so bit about I, it before I we started I should say
1: but. yeah yeah I should say that um, though uh, Seattle Vice is going on and I'm a huge part of it it is not a Cafe Nordo production people make that mistake a lot which there's there's great things about that and there's things that that you know we'd, we'd like to clarify but Cafe Nordo I am a company member we are at the building right now. It's on First in Main, and we just opened this beautiful new venue in April here at Cafe Nordo, and we do immersive dinner theater. So that means that the shows here take place in a certain time or in a certain theme. Our last show, Sauced, was set in 1937, and it embraced the history of the cocktail. So we're telling stories about food and drink and with live music. Uh, Anastasia Workman is our composer, and she composes a new score for every single show that we've done. And she's incredible. She's got a gig. Her band, her Spaghetti Western band, is playing here at Cafe Nordo on the 23rd. And it's this great group of artists. I've been working with them for a long time. And that is how uh, I met Mark Siano, and he and I really loved singing together, and so when he said that he was a producer as well and was doing his own thing with Cabaret, I was like, well, this sounds like the best of both worlds for Mm -hmm. me. So, Cafe Nordo, since we've opened the Culinarium, we now have a full season, and we are pairing with lots of different artists doing co-productions, and in fact, Bohemia, the last show that Mark Siano and I produced, was a co-production here at Cafe Nordo, and... Uh, We came in and took it over and made it an absence show, and that was our little way of incorporating Café Norda's desire to tell the story of food and drink into our unique musical cabaret style of doing a show. So we Mm -hmm. did a full absence service, and that was the way of combining the two ideas of what is exciting about cabaret and what is exciting about food and telling the story of food through art. Mm Mm-hmm. That's sounds like my dream oh gosh it's so much fun (laughs) yeah yeah so I I work as a company member and I do the member concierge and I'm a waitress here I'm pretty much puffing it all the time and Uh the events are extraordinary it's a lot of fun it's a lot of food and drink and people talking about it I don't know it's just a nice place to be and Pioneer Square talk about history has a lot of it
0: absolutely we are in the basement here Yeah, we now. are. This is underground Seattle road. right here. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and Quite literally, you could go down that way and I could tell you yeah. some stories. Yeah. We shouldn't go that way, though, because it is not safe. It is a construction
0: <laughs> So we won't,
1: but there so are we stories definitely won't. under here. <laughs> there are. It's very, very cool. <laughs> yes, this used to be the old Elliott Bay Book Company. And folks oh! Say folks say that it's haunted, and I have to say I may have... Ran Experience into some interesting knocking or uh-huh. a few
0: things that get the imagination going for yeah, sure. It's pretty creepy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> creepy in a good way. In a very good way. Yeah, It's really cool down here. Um, anything else you'd like to say about Seattle Vice or about the show or what's only, coming up next for your company? Oh, my gosh. Well, only with Seattle Vice that I'm really
1: excited about doing it at the triple door. And I think that yeah. if people haven't been to that venue before, they should certainly go. It's oh, it's just so fun to sing on that stage. The sound there is extraordinary, extraordinarily good, which, coming from the theater world, is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. And... The food is great. Wild Ginger, they do it up. This isn't a food theater show. People ask me that all the time. I'm like, no, no, it's the Troubledore. Door. You've got the Wild Ginger menu that you can order from. You can order drinks from them. But this isn't food theater. Yeah. It's something different. Yeah. And I'm just so excited to be there. Ten performances for us is a really big deal. So if you're going to come see the show, help me out. Come on a Wednesday night. Okay. Those Wednesday shows are tough to fill, or a ten o'clock show, and you may get something a little bit dirtier than than those folks. The ten o'clock shows totally oh, yeah. worth it. Okay, oh, yeah, we'll come to the
0: ten <laughs> o'clock show, yeah. knowing that it's a little shorter than I. That oh, I was yeah. just worried totally. about the ferry. We really want to come to a ten o'clock, but the ferry is so. Yeah,
1: what's what's the deal know? with the ferry, right? But so that show, the show will be done by eleven thirty. Yeah, for that's sure. Great. Yeah, or with the early ones, you just might not see as much of something <laughs> in the early
0: ones. That's good <laughs> Not to know, gonna say so what that is. <laughs> the 10, <laughs> 10 o'clock good. shows are the ones to... Yeah, come to the 10 o'clock, they're cool. gonna be great. Um, and what, are you working on anything after that? Well, I am here at Cafe Nordo and we are
1: right now figuring out what we're going to be doing this spring. I have performed in every one of their productions that mm-hmm. I continued, I'm going to continue to be involved here. Uh, we are having a really amazing Valentine's Day weekend here at Cafe Nordo. We are doing a co-production with the Bushwick Book Club, and they are taking on Anais Nin's Delta of Venus. Mm-hmm. And I will be there and performing and waitressing, and I'm super excited for that for Valentine's Day weekend. That's at cool. Cafe Nordo. And as far as Mark Siano Productions, I should say that it's usually Mr. Siano who has the really big ideas uh-huh. of what we're doing next. Yeah, And I think that... We'll be doing something in the summer, and it may involve swimsuits, <laughs> and it may involve tiki music, all right. and it's going to be pretty great. But uh, as far as as far as far official announcements yet, uh, just go ahead and find me on Facebook or look at CafeNordo.com and, and all of my information will be mm-hmm. there pretty shortly. But this January month is kind of like...
0: Oh, we're figuring things yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, how can people get
1: tickets to Seattle Vice? Oh, What's this is the... this is very easy. It's <laughs> www.bit.ly/triplevice. Triple Vice, like triple X Triple Vice. Or you can just Google the Triple Door and go to their calendar, and it's really easy to buy the tickets there. And the tickets, for me who does dinner theater, I'm pretty psyched to say that the tickets range from fifteen dollars to thirty five dollars, depending on your seat. And yeah. that for me feels like a price that I can offer up to my, you know, actor friends who absolutely are totally <laughs> reasonable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's a reason it's a reasonable ticket price yeah. for a really great show. Yeah. And should you
0: choose to get dinner and stuff, you know, it's a nice night out on the town. Definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank I cannot you. wait to see the show. It sounds just fantastic. Oh, thank you so beautiful. much. And thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this was Opal Peachy with the Seattle Vice Show at the Triple Door. And you run January... Uh, yes, we have 10 shows, and they are January
1: 22nd through the 31st. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you.